You're listening to the Wally Local History Podcast, researched, written, and narrated by Jean Lord. This episode is kindly sponsored by the Wally Local History Group. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, please click to follow to ensure that you're notified of each new episode. The Hermitage, Wally. A lot has been written about Isolde de Heaton, the last Anchoress of Wally and 80% of it is not true. We have to thank initially for the misinformation, the monks of Wally, for putting spin on her disappearance for their own ends. William Harrison Ainsworth, in his book The Lancashire Witches, which he researched here in Wally at Bridge Cottage, for including her in his wonderful romance, further perpetuated by John Clayton in The Lancashire Witches' Conspiracy, who seems to believe it, and to a lesser degree, the Reverend Taylor Taswell in his celebrated book Wally Church and Abbey, and thereafter every other reverend who updated the contents. Ainsworth has her absconding over the nab with a freebooter named Blackburn, he being dressed as a monk with certain intentions. Finding herself pregnant, she escaped with him, falling and breaking her leg on the nab, where she was then carried to Malkin Tower, home of the witches and surviving to become grandmother to Elizabeth Demdike, one of the witches, in the trials in 1612, making her, by my calculations, at least 175 years old. The real story. The hermitage was, according to Dr. Whitaker, on the site where the dirty cottages were in the churchyard, demolished in 1818. Wally church records state that, to the west of the church, a hermitage was erected in 1361 and suppressed in 1461. Letter to the king from the abbot confirms within a place hallowed near to the gate of the monastery. This places it, as the church graveyard was not enclosed, about the site of the playground of the Wally School. The first we hear of an anchoress in Wally is when the hermitage was founded by Henry, Duke of Lancaster, in 1360, to be nominated by himself or his successors to pray daily for himself and his heirs or his successors. We do not hear of an appointment until Henry VI nominated Isolde de Heaton, widow of Richard de Heaton, in 1437. She was to have a small dwelling in the churchyard of the parochial church at Worley, with an adjoining chapel. Two maidservants and a chaplain attended by a server to sing mass daily in the chapel of her enclosure. She had a weekly ration of 17 loaves baked in the abbey, seven inferior loaves, eight gallons of best ale. Yearly, at the Feast of All Saints, she was to be given ten large stock fish, one bushel of oatmeal and one bushel of rye. For light and heat, she was to be provided with two gallons of oil, four lamps, and six loads of turf, and one of faggots. In return, she had to spend her time in prayer, and to offer advice and wisdom to visitors.
It seems she was not incarcerated like the one at Skipton, who was walled up with just a small window. It was to be a lifelong commitment. In return, the Abbey got vast amounts of lands and cottages, pasture and woodland in what we know as the Ribble Valley. The writ was witnessed by ten named knights and chevaliers and many others. Between 1370 and 1437 was a very busy time for the Abbey regarding building. The Abbey Church was in process of being built, finishing in 1380. The crenulation of the Abbey precinct, permission granted 1348 to 1350, a massive undertaking to keep out the marauding Scots, followed by the plague. Northeast Gateway not yet built, and the church tower was underway. Could be a factor in the delay, but I don't know. I have searched Chancery for that time and found nothing for those dates nominating a recluse before I sold her. I have also communicated via email with Elizabeth Chadwick, historical author, who is also researching the same. I sold it to Heaton, niece Standish, was married to Richard Heaton, an important family near Horwich, Bolton. They had land all over the area, and we find Richard and Isolde with four parts of land in Billinge. This has led to many sites on the internet and ancestry, assuming Isolde was of Billinge. Not so. Richard's father, William, married into the Billinge family and acquired land. Isolde was the daughter of Lawrence de Standish and sister of Alexander, who we will meet shortly. She had a son, William, and at least two daughters. On the death of her husband, Richard, William, the grandfather, took control of the family. Young William was ten years old, heir to his father's lands and money, and ripe for contracts for marriage to be put in place. Isolde, too, is looking to do the same. In 1437, Henry, the Duke of Lancaster, nominated Isolde, now a widow, as the Empress at Worley, with all the stipulations according to it. Meanwhile, Grandfather William made a contract with Richard Barton of Middleton near Manchester for young William to marry Agnes Barton, his daughter, when William came of age, which would be 14 years old. The contract was paid for £66, 13 shillings and 4 pence, around £45,000 today. I sold her from her cell, says as you will see, that she has been offered 200 to also provide portions for her daughters. Here, I speculate, imagine her feelings and being a woman now alone, she must have been feeling quite frustrated. But back to the facts. She now writes to her brother Alexander, head of the Standish family, with what has happened, and they contrive to get William away and hide him. This they do successfully. By the way, Alexander is a wealthy man, so it would not have involved escaping on foot over the walling up and breaking a leg. 
A petition is sent to John Stafford, the Bishop of Bath and Wells, from Richard Barton, father of Agnes, telling him of the bargain for the young William, agreed with William the Elder and Isolde, and says Alexander Standish and his sister Isolde have done away with him to a private place. He demands subpoenas, one for Alexander, one for Isolde. He doesn't mention that Isolde is the mother of William and has two other children to provide for. He asks that they appear before the Chancery of England with a fine of £200 if they do not appear. Nothing seems to have come of that, as Isolde has absconded, so the subpoena may not have been delivered. Richard Barton is so sure he will win. He appears in person and offers to pay if not proven. It is two years later that the monks find that Isolde has gone. Meanwhile, all has been carrying on as normal regarding supplies from the Abbey. There would be much scandal, and to cut a long story short, the monks now petition the king. They say the servants have been misgoverned and are with child, and that Isolde and recluses, notice recluses, have broken their oath and have no intentions to return and have been gone these two years, citing especially Isolde de Heaton, the last recluse, again suggesting others before her, she having been nominated by preferment of our sovereign lord. They ask Henry VI that the hermitage be closed and prayers for Henry and his heirs to be given over to their chantries. The king agreed with another lengthy indenture of all the requirements. I would like to have been a fly on the wall when that letter arrived at court and the secretaries read it before consulting the king. A few questions need an answer. However, the abbot would have been relieved to get rid of supplying all the sustenance to the hermitage. His letter is missing a few facts, I think, don't you? Who says there were no spin doctors then? About the same time as the Abbey appeal, I sold her petitions, the most worshipful father in God, the most gracious Archbishop of Canterbury, Chancellor of England. She is begging and beseeching for help for her other children and being refused and goes on to say she has been offered £200 herself for a contract for William. She begs that William, the grandfather, be subpoenaed and stand before the chancery. She begs help because she has no standing in law, as she is now an anchoress and closeted at Worley. She goes on to say she has no means or power for his lordship to maintain her, I'm not sure what she means here, whether it is reference to William the grandfather or Alexander her brother, who may have already died. I have a date as around 1445, or reference to her widowhood, as she does not mention she is not now a recluse. Her son is approaching the age of consent. Witness to these documents' good intentions 
are Gilbertus Standish de Blakely and Johannes Weston, gentlemen. This could be a clue as to where she was hiding. Unfortunately, we have no reply from the Archbishop. If you have experienced yourselves the workings of the politics of the church hierarchy, there is every chance the Archbishop never saw it. We can only hope that Isolde was successful in some way and lived happily ever after. I found a document recently that throws some light on it. In 1481, Richard, son of William Heaton, confirms his father's grant that all his lands should, after the death of Agnes, daughter of Richard Barton, go to Roger, brother of Richard, etc., etc. So it seems they did confirm the marriage contract. Unfortunately, all the history books relating to the Abbey give a tarnished opinion of her, and I hope this will go some way to redeeming her reputation. Consider, though, what we know from films and documents of the families surrounding kings and archbishops and the fighting for position in the 15th century, not to mention the non-existent rights of women, especially widows. Isolde would have had very little chance on her own, and the pecking order of families would have played a large part. My research with thanks to Early Chancery Proceedings and Records, Coucher Book of Wally, Dr. Reverend T.D. Whitaker's translation, British History Online, Townships, Heaton, Standish, Barton and Middleton, William Harrison Ainsworth's Lancashire Witches, Lancashire and Cheshire Historical Society Archives, the Reverend S.T. Taylor Taswell, Worley Church and Abbey, Handlist of Worley Church by J.E.W. Wallace, collaboration with Elizabeth Chadwick, who is also researching Isolde, and we are both happy to receive any information you may find. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to know more, please go to Worley Local History, the Facebook group, and ask to join. And if you're in Worley or visiting Worley, please go to Worley Old Grammar School where we have a heritage room. In there you'll find lots of photos and information about Worley Local History. See you next time.